If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This episode may contain content of a graphic nature, including descriptions of physical and sexual violence against adults, children, and animals. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. I'm Tanya. And I'm Talia. And we are Crimes and Consequences, a true crime podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Hi, listeners. I hope everybody is doing well. And thank you for coming back and listening to us this week. We've got another great story to tell you. We do. Before I get into it, though, I want to ask everyone to subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on because that really helps us. You know what I found out, Tanya? Hmm. I found out that some people actually like true crime and chit chat. They do? Someone emailed me about it. Do you want to chit chat for a while? (laughs) No, I want to get to the story. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so here we go. It's a creepy one. It's got a creeper in it. I so, love that. So let's just do it. I need this. <laughs> I need this. I need this. Oh. All right. Okay. It's my dose of true crime. I know. It's our dopamine, right? Right. On October 25th, 1974, at about 1045 a.m., there was a knock on the door of Lenore Nizaki's apartment door. She had one of those sliding chain locks where you can open the door and kind of peek out, but it's still, the chain prevents you from opening it all the way. So Lenore answered the lock and she opened her door. There was a man asking for Charles, but there was no one named Charles living with Lenore. She told him this and she told him maybe to check with some of the other neighbors because he had the wrong apartment. The man left, but after several minutes, he came back and knocked on Lenore's door again. (laughs) She asked him, well, would you like to leave a note for a neighbor? And she undid the chain lock, then turned around to find some paper. The man rushed inside Lenore's apartment and attacked her. He got on top of her and choked her until she passed out. After she passed out, the man left. So Lenore luckily survived the attack. Five days later, on October 30th, 1974, 
A 19-year-old woman named Gloria Steele was murdered in her apartment that she shared with her three-year-old daughter. She was a student who attended nearby Western Michigan University. Holy shit, this is in Michigan. This is in Michigan. I lived by Western. I know you did. She had been stabbed with a wooden carving tool 33 times in the chest, and her windpipe was crushed. There was no witnesses except for a woman who said she saw an African-American man walking up a staircase in the apartment complex asking for Charles. Hmm. On November 12, 1974, Diane Williams, who was an apartment resident manager, and I don't know if all of these apartments are in the same complex, but some of them are happening in Ann Arbor, the Ann Arbor oh. area. Some of them are happening in Detroit, in the suburbs. So this is all in Michigan. Wow, I didn't... Wow. I know. I know. Being a resident here, I'd never heard this story. I don't even know who it is, so... I know. You're going to be... You're going to be shocked. (laughs) Diane noticed a black man walking around the apartment complex looking for Charles. The man knocked on her apartment door, and he asked for Charles. And when he did, Diane went to go get some paper for him. And the man took the paper from her, but he forced his way into Diane's apartment, pushing her further into it. There was a fierce struggle when the man attacked her, and Diane was fighting for her life. During the struggle, her home phone started to ring, and she was able to knock the phone off the hook, the receiver, and she was screaming for help. This caused the man to panic, and he took off running. Diane went to her window after he left, and he saw the man getting into a tan Pontiac Grand Prix car. She survived her attack, thankfully, and while police were investigating it, they put together a photo lineup for her to view. Since the attack on Diane was very similar to the attack on Lenore two weeks prior, both women were shown the lineup and both identified their attacker as Carl Eugene Watts or Coral Watts. Have you ever heard of Coral Watts? I have heard of Coral Watts. Well, he's a sick fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously I don't know anything about it because I had no idea he was in Michigan. I know, right? In 1974, Coral was a 20-year-old student attending Western Michigan. He was studying engineering, and he worked in the university cafeteria. This kind of reminded me of what's-his-name. You're thinking of John Norman Collins, who worked at the Union Hall in Eastern Michigan. Yes, 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 exactly. He kind of reminded me a little of that. Coral was soon arrested for the attacks on Lenore and Diane on November 16th, 1974, and he was charged with assault and battery. When police questioned him... He admitted to attacking not just Lenore and Diane, but an additional 13 women. He was also questioned about Gloria Steele's murder, but he refused to say anything much about it other than he was in the area where Gloria lived the day before she died. Police got a search warrant for his home and they found wooden carving tools, but nothing that specifically could tie him to Gloria's murder. So her murder ended up going unsolved for quite a long time. On December 19, 1974, his trial for assault and battery of Lenore and Diane was underway. He pled no contest and was sentenced to one year in the county jail. What? Yes, I know. One year. What what the? What? Right? (laughs) One year? One whole year. You get a DUI. Your second DUI in Michigan, you get that. Right? I know. It's so... Can you imagine being Lenore or Diane and finding out he only got a year? I'd be, be, like, terrified. Fucking pissed. I know. I'd be pissed, too. Prior to the trial, Coral had to do a mental health evaluation that was court-ordered, and it was done at the Center for Forensic Psychiatry in Ann Arbor. 
The examining doctor described Watts as dangerous, and he believed Coral would commit crimes against women again. Wow, that education paid off for that doctor. Right? I could have told you the same fucking thing. Right, exactly. Coral told the doctor it felt good to attack and beat women, and that he didn't feel bad at all about what he did. And he attacked 13 people, Mm -hmm. and he got a year. And he got a year. This is a fucking problem. You're going to be pissed about this next part, because due to confidentiality policies... The staffers at the center weren't able to tell anyone, either the police or the college, that Coral was attending about the early warning signs. The doctor did conclude, though, that Coral was competent to stand trial, that he wasn't mentally incompetent to do that. So, therefore, his trial did go forward. And as I mentioned, he got the whole one year. Yeah, you mentioned that. In county jail. You mentioned that. It wasn't even a prison. It was a county jail. (sighs) He was released from jail in August of 1976, and he moved in with his mother and stepfather in Inkster, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. He began working with his stepfather for a trucking company. During the next couple of years, he also had a daughter and got married to another woman, not the child's mother. Lucky woman. I know. (laughs) But, you know, as someone who hates women, you know he can't stop himself, right? Of course not. Because in October of 1979... Coral was arrested for lurking in neighborhoods in Southfield, which is also a suburb of Detroit. Not far from where our studio is, wink wink. (laughs) (laughs) The charges were eventually dropped against him, but now he was on the radar of the police. They noted that there were five attacks on women the year prior that all had similar circumstances. The women all said that they woke up in bed with a man standing over them with his hands either on their mouth, breasts, or genitals. All the women survived the attacks, and none of them could identify the perpetrator. So the the cops are thinking maybe Coral is responsible for this because he's a creeper. Yeah. But there's no proof. In late 1979 and early 1980, police were busy investigating murders as well of several women in and around Detroit. I'm going to note, before I tell you about them, that none of the victims were sexually assaulted or robbed that it was just purely killing. There's quite a few, everyone, so I'm going to run through. Let me buckle up. Them. Buckle up. On October 8th, 1979, 22-year-old Peggy Pachmara was found strangled in the front yard of her boyfriend's neighbor's house in Detroit. A couple weeks later, on October 31st, the body of 44-year-old Jeannie Klein was found outside of her home in Gross Point Farms. She had been stabbed 13 times. And because it was Halloween... Many people thought her body wasn't actually that of a murder victim, but related to, like, Halloween decorations. Are you kidding me? No. And I always thought that was, like, an urban legend kind of thing. But no. It really happened. On December 1st, 1979, a 36-year-old Helen Dutcher was stabbed 12 times, and her body was found in an alley behind a dry cleaner's in Ferndale. I used to live in Ferndale. You did used to live in Ferndale. I remember you telling me that. Ferndale's a fun place. It is. I had a lot of fun in Ferndale. Her murder was witnessed by a man named Joseph Foy. Foy was able to give a description to the police, and so they hired a sketch artist, and they did a sketch. And the man that appeared on the sketch looked a lot like Coral Watts. On March 10th, 1980, 23-year-old Hazel Conniff was found strangled with her own belt in her boyfriend's driveway in Detroit. Her body was tied to a chain-link fence. What? I know. How could he do that and not get caught? I know. And, you know, the house is in Detroit. I'm thinking, like, 
most houses in Detroit are close together. Like they're neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. They're not far apart. No. I don't know how someone could be killed outside of a house and no one heard a scream or anything like that. They're like quarter acre lots. Yes. Lots. Yes. And they're all very close together. Tied to a chain link fence. In her boyfriend's driveway. Damn. A few weeks later, on March 31st, 26-year-old Denise Dunmore's body was found in a parking lot. She had been strangled to death. On April 20th, 1980, so just a few weeks later, 17-year-old Shirley Small was found on a sidewalk 70 feet from her family's house in Ann Arbor. She'd been attacked and repeatedly cut with an instrument that resembled a scalpel. She bled to death on the sidewalk from stab wounds to her heart. On the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. There were also six deep cuts described as slices on her face. About a month later, on May 31st, 1980, 27-year-old Linda Montero was found strangled outside of her home in Detroit. Then there were a few months where nothing happened, or at least police think so. But on July 14th, 1980, 26-year-old Glenda Richmond was found dead 27 feet from her apartment door in Ann Arbor. She was stabbed 28 times in her left breast with a screwdriver. Oh, man. I know. A couple weeks later, on July 31st, 1980, 22-year-old Irene Kondratowicz. Irene was walking home in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, when she was grabbed from behind by a man, and then he slashed her throat. She did survive her attack. The United States Customs Authorities got a picture of Coral's car crossing the border, from where the crime was shortly after it was committed. And for everyone that doesn't know, Detroit and Windsor are extremely close. There's a tunnel that connects them. And a bridge. And a bridge. On September 24th, 1980, 20-year-old Rebecca Huff was found dead outside of her apartment, and she was stabbed 54 times with a screwdriver. These crimes were starting to get noticed, obviously, by the press. And the Ann Arbor Press noticed that all of the murders had a few things in common. They were all white women. They were all found dead very close or right outside of their apartments. And they were all killed on Sunday mornings around 4 a.m. So people started to call the murderer the Sunday morning slasher. Why are these women outside their apartment at 4 a.m. on a I Sunday morning? Know, right? You're right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Scary, though. Maybe they, maybe they were coming home from partying because it'd be Saturday night. That's true. Or maybe they were coming home from work. I don't know if they had late jobs at like bars or something, you know, places that are open late. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. Anyway. We digress. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I'm curious now, too. On October 6, 1980, so this is just like two weeks after the last attack, 20-year-old Sandra Delpy was attacked from behind and stabbed in the back. And luckily, she also survived. But she was injured severely. She had deep cuts on her face and one nicked her jugular vein. On November 1st, 1980, 30-year-old Mary Angus was walking to her home in Windsor after a Halloween party and noticed a black man with a hooded sweatshirt was following her. She kept an eye on him. As soon as she took out her keychain, he knelt down to tie his shoes and then came running after her. She screamed at the top of her lungs and ran to her front door. The man turned and ran the other way because he was startled by her reaction. So I'm wondering maybe if he's sneaking up yeah. on these women and they're not able to make noise before he attacks them. Mary was able to identify Coral 
from a photo lineup, but she said she wasn't sure it was him because it was really dark when he was stalking her. Coral's car was recorded going from Windsor to Detroit by border authorities after the attack on Mary. Back at this time, you didn't have to have passport or anything like that to go back and forth between the U.S. and Canada. That's true. That's true. Because I remember when I was like 19 and we would go over there to drink because the drinking age was was 19. 19. You just have to have a driver's license. Didn't need a passport or anything. The next murder I'm going to tell you about, I'm not sure if Coral was responsible for it. But it was mentioned in the research I did. On November 6, 1980, a 63-year-old woman's body was found hanging by a trench coat belt from a beam in her garage. The woman was sexually assaulted and a wooden broomstick was inserted into her vagina. And the reason why I don't think Coral necessarily did it was he didn't rape his victims. And hang them or anything doesn't match them all. No, he either strangled them, stabbed them. It was more of a violent, not that this isn't violent, but it was more of a violent attack. Frenzy. Yes. So I wonder. Also in November 1980... Detective Paul Button, he was with the Ann Arbor Homicide Department. He was investigating Coral. He was told by two patrol officers that they actually witnessed Coral stalking a young woman. That was the only time anyone ever saw Coral playing this cat and mouse game that he did with his victims. The officers said they saw Coral drive past a woman and then stop a few blocks ahead of her. She was aware she was being stalked, so she would run in a different direction. He would follow her again, and she'd try to hide. The two police officers said that Coral had a noticeable reaction when the girl got inside of her apartment, and he lost trailing her. What was his reaction? He was really upset. The police officers chased him down when he ran from them and caught up to his car. They arrested him for driving under a suspended license and expired license tags. They searched his vehicle and found a book that had Rebecca Huff's name on it. They also found blood evidence and wooden carving tools. Rebecca was murdered by being stabbed to death with a screwdriver 54 times. Detective Button had no evidence against Coral when he was brought in for interrogation, so when Coral made his phone call, he was allowed to leave. Detective Button became Coral's stalker and tried to find out more information about him. He talked to Coral's former psychiatrist, and he also talked to his former attorney, and they told him that Detective Button probably found his killer. But there's no evidence. I should note here that it was very difficult for police to tie Coral to many of these murders because he didn't sexually assault his victims. He left very little evidence behind. And even if he did leave DNA evidence, it's the early 80s and it wouldn't really have been much use anyway. But he literally left very little evidence for them to be able to tie him to many of these crimes. In November of 1980, Detective Button met with members of the Detroit Police, the Michigan State Police, and Windsor, Ontario Police. They all decided that they were going to start watching Coral more closely. That's a good idea. Honestly, right? If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The same month, Detective Button got a warrant to put a tracking device on Coral's car. The warrant ended on January 29th, 1981. And on that day, Detective Bunton brought Coral in for questioning that lasted five hours. Part of the warrant was to collect a blood sample from Coral, but it ended up not being tied to any unsolved cases. Even though the interrogation lasted five hours, Detective Bunton got nothing from Coral. Around the same time, so this is early 1981, Coral was tired of all the pressure being put on him by Detective Bunton. So he decided to move to Texas and he ended up near Houston. He was like, I gotta get the hell out of Dodge, right? In April, 1981, Detective Bunton mailed out a 19 page case history report on Carl to the Houston Police Department. He's like, hey, heads up everyone. The Houston police were able to find Coral, but they were unable to tie him, of course, to any unsolved crimes at the time. However, they did start keeping tabs on him. On September 5th, 1981, Coral had been drinking and he was driving around. He decided to follow a young woman that he saw, and her name was Lillian Tilly. This happened in Arlington, Texas. Coral followed Lillian into her apartment complex and he attacked her. She tried to fight him off, but they both ended up falling into the apartment pool. What? Yes. And he ended up holding her underwater until she drowned. No. Yes. Oh my God. Isn't that horrifying? No one else saw this? I know. What time is this? I don't know if he's still doing it at 4 a.m., but I know. You think they would make a ton of noise. Right. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That is crazy. About a week later, on September 12th, 1981, 25-year-old Elizabeth Montgomery was out walking her dog, and she was found stabbed to death across the street from her apartment building. Shortly after murdering Elizabeth, less than a half an hour later, Coral murdered 21-year-old Susan Wolf in front of her apartment door as she got out of her car. This is a half hour later. Yes, a half hour later. I believe they were probably in the same apartment complex is what I'm thinking. The next few months, I don't have any information about any other crimes, but in January of 1982, 27-year-old Phyllis Tam was out running by herself early in the morning 
Police found her body hung by the tube top she was wearing from a branch in a tree. Her body was found on the campus of Rice University in Texas. Her death was initially ruled a suicide, but her family didn't believe it. Who's going to go out for a jog and hang themselves in a tree? Right? I know, it's just bizarre. This makes me wonder if he did kill that other woman that was hanging in the rafters. Right. Another Rice student... Margaret Fossey had been out drinking with friends on the night of January 16th, 1982. This is a couple weeks after Phyllis was killed. On Margaret's drive home, Coral followed her and blinded her, causing her to drive into the curb. He walked up to her and killed her instantly by punching her in the throat. Oh. Her larynx was crushed and she died from asphyxiation. Wow. I know. I didn't know you could do that. Man. It's like a kung fu artist or something. What the fuck? I know. He's nuts. Her body was found in the trunk of her own car. That same night, Coral thought he had killed a second woman when this girl was changing her flat tire on the side of the freeway. Coral walked up to her, grabbed her by the head, and slit her throat twice. She survived the attack. She ran into traffic and flagged down someone and a man picked her up. I don't have her name or anything like that. I just have these details. A couple weeks later, on January 29th, a 19-year-old girl was attacked outside of her apartment. She survived and woke up in the hospital with three stab wounds. Again, I don't have her name. He's just on a roll, man. He's just attacking people left and right. And getting away with it. And getting away with it. It's just, it's very shocking. I can't do a California stop without getting caught by the police. (laughs) I know, right? What is this? And you would think, like, they know these things are happening? Wouldn't they, like, up patrols late at night? Especially maybe around the university? I thought they were following this guy. I know. They were supposed to be keeping tabs on him. I guess just not overnight? I don't know. I'm not trying to shit on the police. I'm really not. Don't judge. I'm not judging. Yeah, you are. It sounds like it. You are. (laughs) The next day, January 30th, another 19-year-old girl was attacked while walking from her car to her, the entrance of her home. Luckily, a person on the second floor heard what was going on and came out and yelled, which made Coral run away. The girl survived. She was shown a photographic lineup, but she did not identify Coral as her attacker. She identified someone else. In the very early morning of February 7th, 1982, 20-year-old Elena Samander was going to visit a friend after she'd been out late. Her partially nude body was found in a dumpster close to a bar that she had been at that night. Her body was found by the trash collector when he noticed her leg as the dumpster was being emptied into the truck. On March 20th, 1982, a young woman went missing and she was never found. Again, I don't have her name, but she had left her home on foot after getting into an argument with her dad. She was last seen hitchhiking on Interstate 10, which is the same road that Coral traveled on that day. So they're thinking maybe he was responsible for her disappearance. Four days later, on March 31st, the partially nude body of 20-year-old Mary Castillo was found in a Houston ditch. Three nights later, 19-year-old Christine McDonald vanished while hitchhiking home from a party on the Rice campus. Suzanne Searles, who was 25, also went missing on April 5th. Her shoes and broken glasses were found in her car, which was in the parking lot of her apartment complex. Carrie Mae Jefferson, who was 32, also disappeared. She was working the night shift on April 15th. 
She was on her way home when Coral grabbed her and dragged her through her front yard, put her in the trunk of her car, and drove away. Wow. I know. This is just amazing. The following night, April 16th, 26-year-old Yolanda de Gracia was killed. She was stabbed six times in her home. Does he have a job or anything? Like, he's just out there just killing all the he time. He did have a job. From what I read, he worked, like, for oil companies. I'm not sure what he did, but he's in Texas, where there's lots of oil. He's in the Houston area. He supposedly worked for oil companies. I know when he was in Michigan, he worked for a trucking company. So I don't know if he drove trucks or what he did, but he did have a job. Wow. I don't know how he has time for all this. He's doing this at night. He's not sleeping much is what I'm thinking. On May 1st, high school student Sherry Strait disappeared with her mom's car. The car and her body were found on May 4th. I'm not sure exactly how she died. Two weeks later, Gloria Cavallis, who was 32 and she was an exotic dancer, she was found dead in a trash dumpster. Her body had been wrapped in curtains and dumped in the garbage. These all in Arlington still? Um, In and around, I think, Houston. On May 22nd, 1982, 20-year-old Michelle Madej was celebrating her birthday and was out at a nightclub with friends. When it was time to come home, Michelle was walking on the stairs to her apartment. She had her keys out and she felt someone was behind her. She turned around and it was Coral. He grabbed her by the neck when she tried to say something. He choked her and dragged her body inside of her apartment. He then put her body in her bathtub that he had filled with water so that, quote, her spirit would not get out. Oh, that makes sense. I know. And then he completely trashed her apartment. Her cause of death has been determined to be by drowning in her bathtub. Her body was found the next day, which was the same day that Coral attacked roommates Lori Lister and Melinda Aguilar. When he attacked Lori and Melinda in their apartment, he tied them up and tried to drown Lori in their apartment bathtub. Melinda was able to escape by jumping headfirst off her balcony, and Lori was saved when a neighbor heard the commotion. Coral was caught and arrested for this attack, the one on Melinda and Lori. At his hearing, the judge ordered a psychiatric evaluation. Coral was sent to a mental health hospital for the evaluation. In June 1982, they put him actually in the maximum security unit of the hospital. And the results of his exams, they gave him like a battery of exams. I'm not even going to list them because it's just boring, but they gave him a ton of mental health exams. He was determined to be sane to stand trial, but he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Oh. Doctors noted he had a deep hatred of women. Yeah, clearly. Honestly, he believed women were evil. And it's believed his hatred of women could have originated when his favorite uncle was allegedly killed by female relatives. Hmm. I wish I knew the details of that. Yeah. After he was arrested for the attacks on Melinda and Lori, police interrogated Coral, but he refused to really tell them anything. Smart guy. Honestly, right? The district attorney, though, in Harris County, Texas, decided he needed to get creative with a plea deal for Coral. He told Coral that if he would agree to confess to the crimes concerning Lori and Melinda, that he would be given immunity. It couldn't be prosecuted for any murders that he committed. The district attorney was hoping to get closure for the families of the 50-plus unsolved murders of women in the Houston area. That's a sweet 
deal. Isn't it? I was so upset when I read what that. What the hell? Maybe he'll get one year in the county jail. <laughs> right? Right? So Coral admitted to attacking 19 women and killing 13 of those 19, many of which I told you about earlier. I'm sure there's more out oh, there. Oh, yeah. By the time police were done interrogating him, and the interrogation lasted 28 hours, he admitted to 80 additional murders in Michigan and Canada, but didn't give details since his immunity agreement only covered the murders in Texas. During his confession, Coral told police he was glad they caught him because he would kill again if he was free. When asked how many people he killed, he stated there weren't enough fingers and toes in the room to count on, and there were a total of 100 fingers and toes in the room. I believe it. I mean, the crimes for you described, it's just constant uh, all the time. The plea he accepted had him plead guilty to one count of burglary with intent to kill for the attacks on Lori and Melinda. Coral's sentencing hearing for the burglary and attempted murder was conducted on September 3rd, 1982. People that came to view the sentencing were advised to wear bulletproof vests. There was a metal detector at the front entrance with a bomb-sniffing dog to go through the whole room. There was maximum security. The judge found Coral guilty of committing burglary, and the burglary was committed with the intent to commit murder. He was sentenced to 60 years. In 1983, Coral tried to escape prison, but he got his prison roommates to act as shields for him. He got caught and was sent to solitary confinement for 15 days, and he lost 181 good time credit days. Oh, okay. I know. He was added to the high security risk list. Now, this is going to piss you off. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so Coral, obviously, like everybody does, he appeals his conviction and sentence. In 1989, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals decided that because the judge in his trial for Lori and Melinda's crimes failed to tell Coral that the bathtub water could be deemed a lethal weapon, that he wouldn't be required to serve his entire sentence. He was eligible for retroactive good time earned, equaling three days for every one day served. Holy, just stop. What? So his maximum sentence went down from 60 years to 20 years. That meant he could be released from prison on May 9th, 2006. Sweet Jesus. I know. Coral was denied parole in Texas in 1990, 93, 96, 99, and 2002. He was scheduled for release, as I mentioned, in May of 2006. But in 2004, Texas Governor Rick Perry, if you remember Rick Perry. I remember Rick Perry. Ran for president several times. He signed extradition papers to Michigan, which made sure that Coral would be kept behind bars for years. In April 2004... Coral was extradited to Michigan, where the Attorney General at the time, Mike Cox. I worked for Attorney General Mike Cox. I, that's why I mentioned him. <laughs> I was an assistant Attorney General for him. And his research assistant. Were you? Maybe, do you remember? You don't remember this one though, right? There were so many. I believe that. Attorney General Cox decided to prosecute Coral for the murder of Helen Dutcher. To refresh your memory, her attack had been witnessed by a man named Joe Foy. Also to refresh your memory, she had been stabbed 12 times and her body was found in an alley behind a dry cleaners in Ferndale. In November 2004, Coral's trial for the murder of Helen Dutcher began. When the prosecution was presenting its case, Coral seemed uncomfortable listening to the prosecutor describe the murders. They said his shoulders twitched and his face involuntarily jerked. 
Aw, poor Coral. Poor Coral. Makes him uncomfortable hearing about his crimes. What an asshole. Joe Foy testified as a witness for the state, and a sketch artist took the stand and had the sketch that looked a lot like Coral that Joe had given him entered into evidence. On November 18th, 2004, Coral was found guilty of murdering Helen Dutcher and was sentenced to life in prison in Michigan. In July 2007, Coral was finally put on trial for Gloria Steele's murder. If you remember her, she was the student at Western Michigan who was stabbed to death with a wood carving tool. He was convicted of her murder, but before he could serve out any substantial punishment for Gloria's murder, Coral died of prostate cancer on September 21st, 2007. Too bad. Wow. I'll tell you a little bit about Coral now as an end note. He was born in Texas on November 7th, 1953. His father was in the army and his mom was a kindergarten art teacher. Aw. I know. She sounded like a lovely lady. His parents separated by the time he was two and he was primarily raised by his mom. Coral and his mom eventually moved to Inkster, Michigan, and his mom remarried in 1962, so Coral was about nine. During his childhood, though, he was described as being like a weird kid. I bet. <laughs> I don't have any examples, but he started fantasizing about torturing and killing girls and women by the time he was 12. He was stalking his classmates, the girls. What? what? And it's widely believed he killed his first victim before he was 15. Wow. He, he was just born... Bad. Right, just a bad egg. He contracted meningitis when he was 13, which caused him to be held back in school. He wasn't a very good student and could only read at the third grade level by the time he was 16. How'd he go to Western? I was, I'm going to tell you right now. He managed to make it to college first on a football scholarship when he was 19, and he got the scholarship from Lane College in Tennessee. He was injured and wasn't able to play football anymore, so he dropped out and moved back to his mother, in Detroit. When he was 20, he enrolled at Western Michigan on a Martin Luther King Jr. grant that was given to minority students. And he wasn't very successful there either. Well, he's reading at a third grade level. Yes, I know. I don't. It's hard to do college work. How can he even fill out the application? I don't know. It's believed that Coral Watts was the most prolific serial killer in American history, killing more than 100 women. That's more than Sam Little. It is more than Sam Little. He was at like 93. Yeah. So he confessed to quite a bit, but he didn't confess to everything. They probably can't even remember. He probably can't. I mean, the details that I give, I wasn't sure if they were given by Coral. I think the crimes that happened in Texas were probably given by Coral. But the other ones just were based on unsolved crimes that they think that he did. Well, Talia, that's my awful Coral Watts story. Wow, that is just crazy. I'm still on the body looking like a Halloween decoration and the chain link fence and the swimming pool. That's just crazy. And never got caught. Damn. Imagine if he would have just tried to be sneaky. Right, right? He'd still be out there. Probably. Probably. Thank you for that. That was very interesting. You're welcome. Before we go, I would just like to remind everyone to subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. That really does help us. Definitely. So please do so. If you'd like to find out more information about our podcast or this episode, you can go to our website, tntcrimes.com. You can also find out information about becoming a member where you get additional episodes. We do live episodes. There's all kinds of goodies. You can find that information by either going to patreon.com slash tntcrimes, or you can go to our website. By doing that, you help support us because we don't get paid. 
We're just doing this out of the pure joy. I know we appear trained professionals. <laughs> Probably think we're with a big network, but, but we're not. not. <laughs> well, you can also find us on social media. Yep. On Instagram and Facebook is where we're most active at TNT Crimes Podcast. You got it. Thank you. Is that it? That's it. I want to thank everybody for listening to us. We really, truly appreciate it. And a lot of people ask me how they can help support us. And I say, besides being a member, just tell people about us. Yeah, absolutely. Tell your friends. If your friends like true crime and you're listening to us, you must like us. It's a Christmas gift (laughs) to them. Check this one out. All right. Until next week. Until next week. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.